0: Hello, dear friends, and welcome to another inspiring edition of New Promise Church's weekly sermons. We are truly delighted to have you join us today. Whether you are a longtime member of our congregation or a first time visitor, we extend a warm and heartfelt welcome to you. Each week, we come together in the spirit of fellowship and reflection to explore timeless truths, gain spiritual insights, and draw closer to our Creator. We believe that through the power of the word and the messages shared here, we can find guidance, comfort, and a deeper connection to our faith. Before we begin, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for the wisdom and inspiration that will be shared here today. Whether you're listening from the comfort of your home, during your commute, or as part of our congregation, we encourage you to engage with an open heart and an open mind. As we embark on this journey of faith together, Remember that you are not alone. We are a community bound by our shared belief, and we are here to support and uplift one another. Now, without further ado, let us turn our attention to the message that awaits us in today's episode.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you, Amy. What a blessing. Brief prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is living and powerful. Open our ears, open our eyes today to your truth. Only the Holy Spirit can help us to understand your word, Father. So we ask that you give us enlightenment today. And loose my lips so that I speak the truth that you want me to speak. And bind my lips that my flesh would be crucified. And touch our hearts today, Lord, so our lives are changed. And we love you more. And we fear you more. And we want to serve you more because of what we heard today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today is actually our last teaching on the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to have one more prayer teaching in my series next week that's going to kind of wrap up my series, so you don't want to miss it, make sure you're here. Um, I wanted to show a short video that some of you may have seen on YouTube, it's not very long, but it's kind of a microcosm of our culture and our society today. I remember being saved as a young Christian in the early 80s. And boy, back in the 80s and the 90s, it was like it was popular to be a Christian. And, you know, you put bumper stickers on your car. And it's like if you weren't a Christian, you were were kind of out of the loop. But boy, how things have changed in a few decades. And we're actually in a post-Christian culture now, a godless culture. And this short video is kind of a microcosm of that, so let's play that.
2: This is what a godless country we've become. This is a clip from Jeopardy, whose
1: contestants are touted as the most intelligent people in the country who could spout countless
2: useless facts, but don't know this.
1: Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name.
0: Hallowed be thy name.
2: Yes, also known as the Lord's Prayer. This is what a godless country we've become. This is a clip from Jeopardy, whose
1: contestants are... We got the the message there. Crickets. (laughs) Crickets by these intelligent people. I mean, even when I wasn't walking with Christ in my early years, when I was living like the devil, I still knew the answer to that question. Most of our society did, but we're living in a different world today. So to make sure that we can answer that, we're gonna recite the Lord's Prayer together here one more time. I'll lead us and we can pray this out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray for our country right now. Just a moment. Father, it's disturbing to watch that Jeopardy! video. I know it's just three people standing up there, but I think it represents a lot more in our country today. Our country has pushed God and the Bible and Jesus Christ out of everything. Not everyone has, but a lot have. And for many of us, we are grieved by that. And so we just want to pray for this country, the United States of America right now, the greatest country on earth still. And Lord, this this country was founded on Your Word by moral Judeo-Christian values And we've lost that and we're going to pray for that to come back to our country, that you would revive this country, bring us back to God, bring us back to the Bible, bring us back to you, Lord. I pray that you would bring the fear of the Lord to this country and you would change people from the inside out. And Lord, even if you don't, may we as the church of Jesus Christ, the minority, shine brightly for you. And be a force to be reckoned with for Jesus sake we pray Amen well today we're looking at lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one some versions say deliver us from evil either way the meaning is pretty much the same so whenever I study a passage before I start pulling out commentaries and things, I like to just look at it and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what is is this saying? What does this mean? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And my initial face value looking at this is we're saying, Lord, we ask You that You would not lead us into temptation. In other words, I'm here right now Temptation's over there. Lord, don't lead me over here into temptation. But instead, deliver us from the evil one. So apparently there must be some potential for evil over here with the temptation that we're asking God not to lead us there. So we're going to unpack this interesting prayer request this morning. Now one of my immediate reactions and maybe your reaction to this would was would god actually lead someone into temptation i mean would god actually do that knowing that they could be enticed by evil and ultimately i'm going to share with you that i think the answer is yes today i'm going to show you biblically let's begin by looking at our first um, verse in our powerpoint slide James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now this God here is talking about God the Father. We know that Jesus, when he came to earth, became a man, so he could be tempted because he was man. But God the Father could not be tempted God cannot be tempted to do evil, nor would he or could he tempt us to do evil. It's outside of his holy nature. It's an impossibility. But what this verse is not saying, it's it's saying that God would not tempt us, but it doesn't say that God would not lead us into temptation. And as I said, we're going to look at some scripture today that shows that he actually might at times. So I'm going to start with that premise this morning that there will be times when God will actually lead us into temptation for his glory and for our good. So I want to begin by talking about this word temptation. The English word temptation, when we hear that, it has an immediate connotation of enticing us to do evil. But the word in in here in Matthew, lead us not into temptation, it's the Greek word parosimos. And it's a neutral word. It has no connotation of good or evil in and of itself. And it can be interpreted in two different ways in different contexts of the Bible. In some contexts, it could mean a trial or a testing. And in other contexts, It can mean to be enticed by evil. So it could literally mean, Lord, lead us not into trial or temptation, or trial or testing, but deliver us from the evil one. So temptation can mean to be tried, or it can mean to be enticed. And we're going to look at two examples of that, one of each area. And let's start off with, there will be times that God will lead us into trial and testing. And let's look at our next verse on the screen. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's the word parasimus. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. My brethren, that's you and, my, you and me, that's Christians, God tells us to count it all joy when we deal with parasimus. Now I want to make an important point here. God is not the author of evil, but He will use difficulty and even evil To test us and to try us. And you find this in the doctrine of suffering. There I've taught this many times from different angles from the pulpit here. This is what's missing in the in the bent of the prosperity gospel where everyone's supposed to be healed. It's you know, someone who was coming to this church made a statement about me on social media that that new pastor there taught the abhorrent truth that it's not god's will to heal everybody it's not an an abhorrent truth it's a biblical truth and to believe otherwise is to totally eliminate the doctrine of suffering from the bible you have to rip it out there is a doctrine of suffering and we find it in our next scripture I've shared this verse before. It's so important. It's such a powerful truth. The Apostle Paul says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure." So Paul had this thorn in his flesh. Probably some irritating, nonstop physical infirmity. We don't know what it is. He asked God to take it from him several times, and it was given to him. He said it was given it to him. Who gave it to him? God gave it to him. We know the devil didn't give it to him, because at the end it says, lest I be exalted above measure. It was given to him so he would be humble and not proud. The devil wouldn't have been in on that. But a messenger of Satan to buffet me. God used Satan to buffet him, just as he did with Job in the book of Job. And as I shared this quote before, when I was talking on the sovereignty of God one time in our Bible study, Brother Dwayne came up to me And as he does, he always has these nice piffy little wise statements. He just walked up to me and he said, Pastor Joe, God will use a thing he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Then he just walked away. I was like, that went immediately in my Bible. God will use a thing he hates to accomplish that which he loves. An important point here now. When you are tried and tested, there is the potential for good to come out of it, and there is also the potential for evil to come out of it. It all depends on our response. Are we responding biblically or unbiblically to the trials and temptations? In James 1, the potential for good, it says that it can produce patience, also, in some versions, says perseverance. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be per- perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When you go through a severe trial and testing, it has the potential to make you spiritually mature, to make you spiritually strong. If we persevere under trial, we can become spiritually ma- mature, and God can produce Christ likeness in us. That's the potential of every trial and testing. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 expounds on this. Paul says, We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribula- tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Knowing that our trials produce the character of Christ gives us hope. When you're suffering and you're going through things, I'm I'm going through some things in my life that you don't know about, and I know you're going through things that I don't know about, and some I do know about. And they're hard. And and we want God to bring us relief. We're like, Paul, take this thorn from me. But over time, as you persevere, you start to see I'm becoming more compassionate. I'm becoming more loving. I'm becoming more patient with people who are suffering. You see Christ-likeness start to develop in you. This is the good that can happen through your suffering that you're going through right now. But there are also possible negative responses in the furnace of affliction. We can choose to disobey God when we're hurting. We can choose to grumble and complain. These these are the top temptations right here. Grumbling and complaining. Oh, it's so easy when you're hurting. I know some of you in here are going through chronic pain. It's hard not to grumble and complain. And I think God has compassion, and I do too. But I can't tell you it's okay to grumble and complain because it's not okay for me. I have to keep repenting of it we can choose to wallow in self-pity. Oh, it's got to be one of the most destructive time-wasting sins there is, is self-pity. Isn't it? When you start feeling sorry for yourself, it's just a spiral down to nowhere. I could think of times I started getting into self-pity about some tough trials, and it was like it's like my feet were stuck in mud. I'm like, "Jesus, you got to pull me out of here. I'm sorry." that I, I wasn't giving thanks. Pull me out of here, Lord. We need to repent of self-pity. It's a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God, in his goodness. And we can choose to run to idols to find relief from the affliction. Trials hurt. They're painful. No one likes to suffer. So what do you do when you're suffering? You want to you feel good. You can go to the TV to feel good. You can go to food to feel good. You could go to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. You name it. Workaholic. We can run to idols to try to anesthetize the pain. But James says, let the trials have their perfect work in you. Let them do it. Endure the suffering. Don't don't try to take that, that metaphoric Percocet of life to make you feel better. Wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to cling to those scriptures of waiting. God's, he's on his way. We see the amazing example of Job, godly man, financially wealthy, beautiful family, ten kids had it all, lost everything horrible suffering led by God into those trials and testings have your way with him Satan I'm letting you test Job for my purposes what did Job say in Job 1, 20 and 22 then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head And fell to the ground and worshiped. That is so difficult to do when you're suffering. But I want to challenge you to do it. When you're suffering and you're not feeling it, if you if you can get to your knees, sometimes some of us can't because we won't be able to get back up, but you can in your heart get to your knees. Just worship God. Can you imagine how much that must tick the devil off? when you're in a trial and a testing and you're worshiping God anyhow. Oh, he must hate it. He must have hated it when Job did it. And Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Boy, I can't say that for my life, but that's a goal of mine. I don't want to sin during my trial, during the fire of affliction. I don't want to shake my fist at God and make him feel like he's doing something wrong. He's never doing something wrong. We just don't understand. We have to trust. God will sometimes lead us into trial and testing. Parasimos. Now let's look at a big biblical example of being led into enticement to evil. And let's turn together in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. I've said this before, and I'm just going to say it again. It's it's not a legalistic command. But I, I encourage you, get a Bible, paper, It's okay to use your phone once in a while or something. There's something about having a Bible that you can just write in and mark. And I have had this same Bible now. I think it's been something like 36 years. Now, I have studied Bibles and I have tons of Bibles I use. But this is my go to sword of the Spirit. I mean, I just, I'm counseling someone and I know, like, no, yeah, around two thirds here, bottom right, yellow highlighter, boom, my verse is right there. There's just something about having your own Bible that you can mark up, and I encourage you to do that. So Matthew 4, a a portion of Scripture we're all very familiar with. Verse 1. Now pay attention to verse 1 here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let me read it one more time so you don't think this is my idea. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into temptation to be tempted by the devil. So if that's going to happen to Jesus, i got to believe it's going to happen to us at times. And we're going to give some reasons why. And let's read through this. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... Afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Then Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In all of these temptations to our Lord Jesus Christ, Satan tried to get Jesus to doubt God and to doubt the word of God. And isn't it amazing that Satan said it is written? Satan will use scripture to try to twist your thoughts. So what does that tell you? It tells you you what my passion is for this church. We need to know the word of God. We need to be workmen who are unashamed, who rightly divide the word of truth. We need to know our Bibles, the main things and the plain things, because if we don't, we will not be able to withstand the temptations of Satan, and we will not be able to discern the teaching of false teachers, because they use Scripture to try to pervert the gospel. So we need to know the Bible, and It's my privilege to teach it to you. Well, just as with trials and testings, there's the potential for a right response or a wrong response when enticed. So let's talk about some wrong responses here. Now, we have to make a little bit of a separation here because Jesus was God, and although he was tempted... He probably didn't have the potential to respond how we might respond, because he was God. But here's what we might be tempted to do. Once again, self-pity, that awful sin. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten for 40 days. Turn the stone into bread. That sounds like a good idea. I deserve this to be bread. I just fasted for 40 days. Woe is me. No. No self-pity. Pride. He said, oh, if you're the Son of God, then do this. Yeah, yeah, you're not the Son of God. I'm not the Son of God? Oh, yeah? Well, watch this. Jesus could have let pride have him do what Satan said, but he didn't. And then he offered him everything. Here, you can have all this, all the sparkle, just like on TV, on the Internet. They promise us everything. Sin just sparkles. It's so wonderful. But, but it, it doesn't pay, it doesn't, it doesn't give what it offers. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So when we're enticed, we have the opportunity to say, it is written, and obey God and do what God's word says. Or we can sin. Some, a habit that I've tried to get into in my life throughout the years is I ask myself a question now, I'm not always successful with this, but I'm being progressively sanctified. I ask myself in the midst of the, the testing or the enticement, and I, I literally ask myself, I said, Joe, what's the right thing to do right now? And do it. Do the right thing. What does the Lord require of you? Micah um, six 8, To, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justly, do the right thing. Now we can't do that on willpower, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus showed us how to respond biblically to the attacks of Satan. Jesus lifted up one of the pieces of the armor of God, the shield of faith, Ephesians 6.16. Above all, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What are the fiery darts of the wicked one? It's temptation. And they're out there, man. I mean, some temptations aren't too bad, other ones, they're strong, aren't they, in our lives? What did Jesus do? He lifted up the shield of faith. That's the Word of God. Once again, all goes back to the Word. You've got to be in church on Sundays. Try to be at Bible study. Read your Bible every day. Meditate on the Word of God. We need need to. And and when you don't want to, when you feel lazy, you've got to cry out, God, help me, strengthen me. Help me, Lord. We all get tired. Jesus quoted from the Psalms 11 times in the New Testament, so I'm I'm sure he knew Psalm 119.11. Thy word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. When you memorize Scripture, it's amazing. When you get tempted, how the Holy Spirit will bring a Scripture to your mind that you didn't even know that you knew. James 4.7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say resist the devil first as if we could do it on our own strength first you must submit to god with your temptation this is god right here his word how many of you here i love asking these oldie questions how many of you remember flip wilson all <laughs> oh, the gray heads and bald heads raising their hands none of the young people <laughs> um, flip flip wilson was a comedian i was a kid back then but he had a saying he used to say when he did wrong, he used to say, the devil made me do it. Anytime he did something wrong, the devil made me do it. Maybe he knew Ephesians 6.12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so there. certainly the devil tempts us, but the devil doesn't make you do anything. We choose by an act of our will to do right or wrong. We don't need the devil to tempt us to do To do wrong, because we have evil lurking within our hearts. Let's look at our next scripture verse. This is me and you. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now certainly there's a devil and he tempts us. But we can't blame everything on the devil. And this unba- unbalanced biblical view that I hear from some preachers, everything's a spirit. You know, the spirit of gluttony, the spirit of worry, the spirit of this and the spirit of that. Now I'm not denying that there's demons that attack you on certain specific things, but not everything's a demon. Sometimes it's just your heart. But either way, we still have the same choice. We respond biblically or we respond unbiblically. And in all of this talk on temptation, we can't neglect this next verse on the screen. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, no matter how you're being tempted, you may be thinking, man, nobody's got it as hard as I do with this one. But actually, many other people do. It's common to man. Somebody else, some other group of people is struggling with the same temptation that you're struggling with. And we don't overcome these things by our own faithfulness. God is faithful to help us. And that's a really convicting verse who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Because sometimes I've given in because I thought, nah, man, I was, that was my breaking point. And God says, nope, you didn't hit your breaking point. You never will. You just gave up. God will give us a way of escape. So let me give a few concluding thoughts on temptation. God will lead us into spiritual battlefields where we must fight the good fight of faith and conquer temptations from both without and from within. It's going to happen. And God's going to lead us there. Because He knows the potential of the good that can come out of both. Trying and enticing. The devil tempts men that he may ruin them. God leads us into temptations that he might perfect us and conform us to the image of his Son. I put a quote on the back of the bulletin from Warren Wiersbe. Temptation is Satan's weapon to defeat us, but it can become God's tool to build us. All things work for good to them that love God. Story of Joseph in Genesis. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Didn't, that doesn't just say God will use it for good. That, when it says God meant it for good, that means God was in on it. God is sovereign. Let's close with this now as we're wrapping up the Lord's Prayer because there's a progression in all this leading us to, to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We started the first teaching, Our Father Who Art in Heaven. We learned how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, helpless and hopeless, hopeless without God in the world before we knew Jesus. But Christ drew us to Himself, He saved us, and He became our Heavenly Father. So we pray, Our Father Who Art in Heaven, who rescued us from our deadness. We hallowed His name. He's our Abba, Father, Daddy, but He's also holy. So we learn and we're growing to fear Him. To fear Him in His holiness, and we're learning to hate sin more and more as we grow as Christians. And then we pray for His kingdom to come. We know sin is so awful and it will send people to hell that we pray for His kingdom to come into other people's hearts. We pray that it grows alive in our heart. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring Your kingdom to this earth because this world is so sinful and awful. Romans says it's groaning for its redemption. And then we pray for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible says the angels unheedingly obey the voice of God. And we need to pray that for ourselves because we oftentimes, we live for ourselves rather than the will of God that is being done in heaven. So we have to repent of that sin. 2 Corinthians 5.15, my life verse, I quote it often. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We repent of our ungratefulness and our self-sufficiency. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've come to terms with our great sin debt before a holy God we become born again. He forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And then because of that, we learn to forgive others as he has forgiven us. And now we come to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. At this point in the Lord's Prayer, this is, should be our walk through our Christian life, that we're growing in the fear of God, and we're hating sin. That should be the progression. Day after day after day. Fearing God, hating sin. And this should now take us into the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a defensive prayer. It's a prayer of distrust in ourselves that I know I have the potential to sin so I don't even want to be led into temptation. Now, we've already, we've, we've, I've shown biblically that God will lead us into temptation. So I, I, I wrote a prayer here. I, I, was, I was studying this, meditating over it, and I said, okay, I kind of encapsulated my own prayer for lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, based on this teaching, based on the whole Lord's Prayer. And here's what I came up with. Lord, even though I know that 1 Corinthians 10.13 is true, I am sorry for the many times I have not taken the way of escape. And even though I know I have the potential to have victory over sin, I confess that I often fear that I will fall again when functioning in my own strength. Lord, help me to hate sin so much that I daily fear sinning against you and others, and grieving the Holy Spirit. And even beyond that, I ask that you would not even allow me to be led into situations where I have even the potential to fail you and grieve your heart. But if in your wisdom you lead me into tempting and trying circumstances, by your grace, deliver me from evil and the evil one. Amen. That prayer, that's my commentary on this old teaching. I hope it resonates with your heart. And then in closing here, he, fin- he finishes with the final words. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, you may notice some of your Bibles don't have that in there. There's discrepancy amongst the Greek scholars of whether or not this was actually a part of the original manuscripts. It's kind of put in there almost as a benediction to the prayer I don't know who's right or wrong about it I'm not too worried about it because it's very biblical in fact I found a verse in 1st Chronicles 29:11 that echoes that it says this yours O Lord is the greatness the power and the glory the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours yours is the kingdom O Lord And you are exalted as head over all. The Lord's Prayer begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be in thy name. And it ends with, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's that's the template for life. Everything needs to begin and end with God. Everything in our lives. In him we live and move and have our being. So if this resonates with you, I'm going to put my prayer that I, that I, that I made up, and it resonates with you, I'm going to pray it out loud to the Lord, and if it resonates with you, I'm going to ask you to join me. As I pray out loud, just follow, follow along. Lord, even though I know that 1 Corinthians 10.13 is true, I am sorry for the many times I have not taken the way of escape. And even though I know I have the potential to have victory over sin, I confess that I often fear that I will fall again when functioning in my own strength. Lord, help me to hate sin so much that I daily fear sinning against you and others and grieving the Holy Spirit. And even beyond that, I ask that you would not even allow me to be led into situations where I have even the potential to fail you and grieve your heart. But if in your wisdom you lead me into tempting and trying circumstances, by your grace, deliver me from evil and the evil one. Amen. May God answer that prayer in our lives. Please stand. Let us exalt the name of the Lord together in our last song.
2: as we bring a close to our service i'd like to read a closing verse jude chapter 1 verse 24. now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless or faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god and our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore, amen. Normally I would just say go in peace, but I have to say there's, uh, Pastor Joe asked me to share this doxology, which he had picked out, and uh, it says here on the um, itinerary that we use it says close scripture and exhortation so as i read the scripture for myself and i noticed there was a word that kind of snagged in my thinking this is a scripture that is speaking of us being before the throne of god uh, at the end of time at the end of uh, human history in which we are in his presence, and he is to present us faultless or blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And I kind of struggle with that because in my picturing of being in God's presence is going to be a very uncomfortable time. Even though we know we're redeemed, I think we'll think of our failures and how unworthy we are. I'm reminded of Isaiah stating that when he was in God's presence as a vision taken up, and he said, Oh, woe is me. And in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, who was always with Jesus, when he was in his presence, he fell as his, at his feet as dead. And so where could the joy be in this thinking? And then i realize well it can't be our joy because we're going to be in a very uncomfortable moment at least in my thinking hebrews 12 says looking unto jesus the author and finish of our faith for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross it's god's joy to be with us at that time, that closing time when he's finally, after all this orchestrating of his eternal plan, he is with us, and he has the joy of us being in his presence. Imagine that. And that should give us joy. Amen? Go in peace. You're dismissed. (laughs)